of gold wide receiver preview angelo and lisa here alongside nick perillo nick it's another week we got preseason games tonight we got the full preseason slate this weekend are you one of those people that bet on preseason like do you do any daily preseason stuff or like any bets on preseason games yeah i'm not uh not really into the preseason betting i kind of feel like I don't know. I feel like it's just too, it's, it's too like weird. Even I think in general, the NFL is such a hard sport to gamble on. Cause some teams look awesome for one week and then you see them going the, into the next week and Hey, you know, why are they only three and a half point favorites, you know, or why are they only three and a half point dogs? But Vegas always knows. And the preseason games are just such a crap shoot. I, I just think it's, you know, it, it's, it's not fun to watch. Basically you have to actually watch the games. Then if you're, you know, in a tight battle, and, you know, you're hoping Ben DiNucci throws a touchdown pass in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I, the only reason why I ask is, like, Established Run always talks about they have a preseason slate of, like, Daily Fantasy on Underdog or whatever their partner site is. That you have these Daily Fantasy leagues with these, like, like fringe players. And I'm just like, that's just insane. That's absolutely batshit to me. Pardon my French. I, I mean, I threw a few dollars on just the game straight up. I'm like, yeah, you know, I could I could see that winning. And, like, if it wins, great. If not, it's like playing blackjack. Okay, I lost. Uh, not anything that I'm going to miss. But, yes, we have, we are finally in the slate of the preseason. We are talking today about the wide receivers that we do not like or that we think are going to be fool's gold this week. And, uh, again, next week we will not be here as I will be on vacation. Nick, why don't you do us the honors? Let's get started with some fool's gold. Who's your first guy? All right, my first receiver uh, in the pool's goal category is going to be, uh, you know, someone everybody loves, and he's been a, you know, a pillar of excellence in fantasy and the NFL for a while. But it's Julio Jones. I think Julio Jones will be a good, not elite or great receiver this year. He's going to a new team now. He's on the Titans. Was in Atlanta for all those years. He was putting up, you know, all those great numbers. He had a couple of years where maybe you wanted to see more touchdowns out of him, but always a guy who was racking up at least, you know. 1,000 to 1,300 yards every year. So it, he was someone you could definitely depend on, and he was always a guy taken maybe in the first and second round. And it's always nice to see the name Julio Jones in your lineup. For me, though, I just don't see him being the Julio Jones that we're all accustomed to seeing. I think Julio Jones right now is kind of like in the number two range, a good mid-range, like number two. And my whole thing with him is I don't see super high upside with him. I mean – he really like we, we just know what we get out of him now and he's he's a lot older and he's on a new team and I think he's the clear number two on that team with AJ Brown being the young you know flashy receiver that the Titans are going to utilize but Tennessee in general um in their passing game they were 30th in pass attempts last season and he's going from the that 30 and uh 30th in pass attempts from Tennessee and where he was in uh, Atlanta where the Falcons have always been an air raid team that throws the ball even with Matt Ryan's noodle arm he was still putting up a good amount of pass attempts per game and I just think he's not going to command as many targets and he's just not a guy who I would feel as comfortable seeing as a number one receiver as my number one receiver as I would in past years I will say I think the thing that might help him is if he can maybe break away on a couple plays Ryan Tannehill actually has a pretty good deep ball so maybe he'll be 
a little bit of, uh, you know, have a little bit um, better success with some of those deep touchdown passes. Now, we shared our list before the podcast started just so we made sure, hey, we're not going to overlap any guys. Julio is a risky pick, but I always, I, for him, where he's going right now, it feels like it's worth it to me just because he does have that huge upside. With A.J. Brown there, I, I kind of feel like he's going to be like a super overqualified number two receiver on that team. And Ryan Tannehill doesn't get the credit he deserves for changing his career trajectory. But there's a lot of question marks, too. How healthy is he? How much left in the tank does he have? That it's going to be a new offense with Arthur Smith not there. So there are a lot of questions revolving Julio Jones. For me, though, like, again, he's getting picked for you. It's not like you have to take him in the first two rounds like we ha- we've had to in the past five years. You're getting him in the third or fourth round. So... Maybe in a two, uh, when you go double dip in the running back spot, he's a guy you avoid because you want maybe someone that's a little bit more safe at your wide receiver one or your wide receiver two. But I don't know. I could see a system where if you're going with a zero RB strategy and you're going or you're going with a tight end in the first round, I, th- there are plenty of teams I could see Julio Jones fitting on because you're fit, able to take that risk. But there are a lot of unknowns with him. I think the biggest thing is that injury and what kind of offensive ties are going to run with Arthur Smith no longer there. Yeah. You know, again, I'm not saying like I completely I'm, I'm off, you know, having Julio Jones on your team. I just think that it's a name that everyone knows. And I could see a lot of people reaching on and saying like, and but being comfortable with saying, Oh, you know, I got Julio Jones, but I just think it's a little bit different this year. And with these guys, I mean, like, like you said, the injuries are a problem. Drop off is inevitable. I mean, last year was probably his um, most injured season, I would say. Actually, no, not – well, his most injured season since 2013. But, you know, he's going to be 32 years old, coming off of an injured season. I just think a a slight drop-off is inevitable. Maybe he'll get 1,000 yards, but that's not what, you know, some people expect out of him. I will say there are a lot of targets to make up for in that Tennessee offense. I mean, John New Smith and Corey Davis, who I believe were their second and third most targeted receivers, they're gone. They're on different teams now. So Julio is going to step into a role where he can get those touches. And if he's healthy, I think that's great. But I again, we don't know what the offense is going to look like, and we don't know if he's going to be fully healthy. And again, regression comes for us all. Father time is undefeated unless you're Tom Brady. I'll start off with my less shocking guy. It's going to be Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton, he's on an offense that has a lot of mouths to feed. You have Jerry Judy there, KJ Hamler, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, Noah Fant. All those guys are either like top picks or someone that has been paid in the case of Melvin Gordon. So there's a lot of guys that are already, and that's not including Tim Patrick, who was a very sneaky guy last season when the entire receiver core got hurt. They're still going to be quarterbacked by Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater did supply some decent fantasy receivers last season, but nothing like spectacular. Like Robbie Anderson was probably the best guy on that Carolina team that you'd want. DJ Moore was solid, but a lot of guys were taking him late second, early third round, and he didn't return that in value. Also with Cortland Sun, he had some knee injury uh, last season, and it took him longer to recover. He just started looking like the Cortland Sun of old, but the start of preseason, he did not look good. He was not running crisp routes. He looked like he was missing some of that explosiveness, something that's very risky for him. So I, I'm kind of down on Cortland Sutton, and we're going to get to your one of your other guys. But this Broncos offense, you have Vic Fangio there, who's a very old-school head coach. Drew Locke, who's very erratic with his accuracy. Teddy Bridgewater, who's kind of like a check-down king. It's hard to get – like this team on paper is super talented, but still hard to get excited about. 
Yeah, Cortland Sutton's a guy. Um, I really, you know, I have a soft spot for him because I had him. Uh, well, I had him last year also in a keeper league, and he was my keeper. That obviously didn't work out. But I had him the year before where he put up uh, 72 catches, one th- uh, over a little over 1,000 yards at six touchdowns, just targeted 124 times. He was really utilized uh, two years ago and was an emergent kind of guy. But like you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of it's, – it's just a weird offense. There's a lot of mouths to feed. There's guys we don't really know about. The KJ Hamler's there. No offense there. The two running backs are there. Jerry Judy. There's a lot going on. And coming off such a, you know, um, devastating injury as a torn ACL is, I, I just don't know what you're going to get out of Cortland Sutton. And he's a guy where he's rated, I think, a little bit higher than he should be. I think a lot of his projections are projected on what he did two years ago. But also, you know, that was two seasons ago. And it, this is, you know, it's been a long time since he's been on the field. I still think he can be productive, and he's not, you know, not a horrible guy to pick up if, uh, you know, he falls into your lap somewhere. But I just think there are too many question marks going on with the Broncos to really like any of their receivers or any, like, their offense in general is just a tough offense to forecast. Yeah, I will say he is reasonably priced. He's 82nd overall right now. But that's still, like, in that range of, well, who else could I get there? Because Corinth Sutton... Might not be as guy like maybe there's another depth running back you could get that's got pretty good upside or another receiver. And mm-hmm. Sutton, it's just hard to see an upside where he ends up establishing himself as a consistent wide receiver too on this team. He kind of seems like a guy that's going to have his good weeks and he's going to have a few bad weeks. And it's not going to be really easy to predict what he's going to do in any given week. So that's why he's one of my first fool's gold. Yeah, and while we're on the topic of, uh, you know, the Broncos, I just figure, you know, we'll just make this a whole mishmash of, uh, you know, um, bashing the Broncos. But my second off fool's gold receiver is Jerry Judy. I I think that people should temper their expectations a little bit with him. You know, we all know that he was an elite receiver. A lot of people thought the best receiver coming out of college in that class and maybe should have been the first receiver taken instead of Henry Ruggs. But – I really do love the way he plays. He's twitchy. He's quick. He's got a lot of good skills. Uh, he had a couple like drop issues last year, but you know, really like started to work on that. I think in this off season and towards the end of last year. But it's it's all the things we just talked about. I don't love Drew Locke being able to get receivers the ball. It's I, I'm honestly a little bit surprised that the Broncos have gone this far with him and they're giving him another really chance. With and I think the biggest thing is they're giving him another chance. Without you know a young up and coming quarterback behind him, it's Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. We know we we basically know what we're getting out of both guys, and that's why I think it's also hard to really like Jerry Judy because there's no like exciting you know spark that might happen with like you know, a rookie quarterback. Take uh, the 49ers for example, Trey Lance. You could maybe see like you know Trey Lance having like clicking, and maybe he comes in the middle of the season and he sparks up something in the 49er offense, but. There's no really, um, there's no really foreseeable thing with uh, with the Broncos in that quarterback position. And also, you mentioned Melvin Gordon and uh, Javante Williams are there in the in the backfield. I think this is a team that maybe like they want to slug out some games and run the ball. So you have two you know viable running back options there. So they might be running the ball a lot and maybe using their receivers more in like you know short yardage situations or you know dump offs, not really like stretching the field as much as we would like. Yeah, I mean, Judy, I think, is a guy I would get more excited for if it was Bridgewater because he kind of fits that DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson type a little bit more than Cortland Sutton. So if Bridgewater ends up winning, Judy would, might be a guy I target in those mid-rounds because I think he would have good upside. But if it is Drew Locke, I mean, first of all, Judy had some drop issues last season. He only ended up catching 
52 of his 113 targets, which is not a really great ratio. Also, he's getting those from Drew Locke, who is not an accurate quarterback. Having Bridgewater there would make it a stable force. I could see him being a guy that gets 8 to 12 points a week. He's not going to do anything like explosive, but he's just a savvy guy who's going to be very consistent for you. But again, this again, like we said, the Broncos seem like a team that's going to want to punch you in the mouth of their running game because it's an old school head coach and they have the talent there in the backfield. Then they're going to try and like maybe incorporate some Noah Fan in there. They're going to get Corlin Sutton the ball maybe in the red zone and Jerry Judy's going to be the guy between the twenties. But I don't feel like that's going to be an offense that's going to put up a very fast pace of play and it's not going to be super efficient. If it's Bridgewater, I feel again I feel a little bit better. You're not going to see them score 40 points a game, but at least with Bridgewater there, you have a stable hand guiding the offense. But for all intents and purposes, it looks like it's going to be Drew Locke. So I'm again out on the Broncos' offense. All right, so my second guy and Steelers friends do not hang me from a pole for this, but it's going to be Chase Claypool. Like the Steelers are an interesting team this season. But I don't have any faith in Big Ben. I think Big Ben is five years removed from being washed. And he's still playing in the league. He is in the quote-unquote best shape of his career. He's lost weight. I don't believe it. I still think that arm is going to be very noodly. Like we talked about Matt Ryan having a noodle arm. Ben's is pretty much falling off him at that this point. And so with Claypool, a guy that's super athletic, a guy that can really stretch the field, who's a big body red zone guy, I don't think that meshes well with Ben. I think Ben meshes better at this point in his career with guys like Juju and Deontay Johnson, who are very good route runners, who can get open underneath. And then I think they're going to see a little bit more tight end play with tight ends over the middle, which is what you saw kind of Claypool do a little bit last season. Like you, A lot of his bigger plays came from when he's getting these targets over the middle of the field on deep routes. But with Ben there... He, only 70% of his catches last season were uh, targets last year were catchable, and he only ended up catching 56.9% of those. So again, another guy that's had a little bit of a drop issue. I love the talent. I think he's going to end up having a very good NFL career. But as far as a fantasy player this season, it's hard for me to really get invested in Chase Claypool. Yeah, Chase Claypool's a guy that I think, you know, he's on the Steelers, getting a lot of hype after a, a very good rookie season last year. But to me, he almost looks, if you look at like a lot of the receivers that uh, were rookies last year and had good seasons, he's the one that kind of sticks out to me a little bit as like an outlier where I don't really think that, um, you know, I think he's most prone to maybe have a, a, a bigger drop off uh, next season than some other guys. And like you mentioned about Ben Roethlisberger, he really like, it looks like he labors when he throws the ball. That's why it's a little bit better for him to maybe get the ball to Juju Smith Schuster. That's why he has so many targets or maybe hit uh, Deontay Johnson. Who's a little bit more athletic. I'd say than Claypool because Claypool really is like an over the top guy and he's kind of their deep threat. So I just think Claypool with being ranked as high as he is, uh, he's a little bit of a risky pick in my opinion, just to have uh, in your roster. If you're definitely going to take him, I would say make sure you're loaded on the, your bench a little bit with guys who you don't you feel are you know at least a little bit uh, high ceiling guys who can maybe take over for him if he doesn't produce as well as we expect. Yeah, like I, the way I think about it is this: if he was with a quarterback who didn't throw the ball as quickly as Ben did and can extend the play a little bit, like I'm thinking of Baker Mayfield, like a guy that's willing to extend the play a little bit to get a better pass. Claypool would be awesome. Claypool would be an awesome fantasy guy to have, but he's playing with Ben and Ben just is going to get the ball out quick. It's going to be a lot of underneath stuff. I really don't think uh, there's anything that Ben can do at this point in his career to make me believe in him this season. 
And if Claypool ends up having a great season, I'm okay with missing out because I at this point it's more so a vote of it's a vote against Big Ben as opposed to a vote against Chase Claypool. I think Chase Claypool's a great player, but I just don't trust Big Ben to get him the ball. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just think, you know, like you mentioned, um, it's it's really a Big Ben issue more than it is Chase Claypool. And um, did the Steelers, I mean, who's their backup? Is it still, it's just it's still, still, it's still, Mason, it's still Mason Rudolph. There, there is a current competition with, uh, I believe, Josh Dobbs and Dwayne Haskin also for the number two spot. But Haskins looked as bad as he did with Washington in the preseason. And then Dobbs has kind of always been the career third yeah, string quarterback. Also worth also worth knowing with Claypool, uh, that one game where he went off for 110 yards and three touchdowns accounted for 23.2% of his season points. So literally a quarter of his total season yeah. points came from one game. <laughs> one game. So again, take, take it with a grain of salt. Something that I like to do, just a little tip uh, for the people at home. What I like to look at sometimes is, I don't know why, if I, I think this way, but I don't know if you think this way, I feel like guys always have inflated stats based on the last week of the season. Yes. Like, I have something I've noticed. I've seen like running backs have like 150 yards and two touchdowns at the end of a year that like, you know, gets them over a thousand yards or skyrockets them like to maybe like, you know, uh, like, you know, a couple more touchdowns to make it look a little bit sexier on their lines at the end of the year. But I take those into account when I look at like game logs from the last year. And I like, look at those, like, like kind of like Claypool, take an outlier game and then say, what do I have without that game? And that's like what you just, but it's a good point to make about him. Yeah. You want to look through what pot stands out to you. And that's kind of like one of the things that separates, because you have to determine what facts or what stats are good stats and what stats are empty calories. Matt mm-hmm. Berry does a great job in every article he's done. I think the article two the past two years where you compare player A and player B and put them in a yeah. vacuum and then say, okay, which one are you taking? Like for example, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were wide receivers 11 and 12 or something like that last season. In standard, and you know that equals you know the, about fifteen points per game, which is fine. The difference is DK Metcalf scored over fifteen points, I believe, like eight times last season, whereas Tyler Lockett only did it four because Tyler Lockett had Tyler Lockett bigger games. Fifty point game last year, yeah. So yeah, like two hundred yards, yeah, and again, like two or three touchdowns. Again, you want to find those sets that mean something. So I, I will say I'll shout this out because they're the two resources I frequently use while I'm doing research for the podcast. I've mentioned Fantasy Pros before. I just can't believe that there's all this information that they just put on their website for free. They also have some cool articles on there. Again, not a sponsor, but I feel like shouting them out just because of how much they've helped me with this podcast. Another one that I've started using for advanced stats is Player Profiler. Again, free resource. Nothing that you have to do to like create an account or anything. You just literally log on, search a player, and it gives you advanced stats. It gives you like it gives you measurements from Combine. It gives you any kind of stat you're looking for that's advanced metrics. And it's really, again, an incredible resource that I very much recommend using before you draft. Definitely something to look out for. Um, shifting now to my third fool's goal receiver. It's going to be someone who I have put so much trust in. He's been on my fantasy team the past three seasons. And I think this is the year I officially need to tell myself, I don't care if it's the 15th round. I'm not going to take him. I'm not taking Odell Beckham. My problem with Odell Beckham is, and I would know better than anyone else, I've had him for three years in a row. 
he's never going to be anything. He's not ever going to return to that form when he was like elite with the Giants those first couple seasons. This guy had so much talent. He was so good. And every year I, I tell myself, I'm like, he's so talented. I know what he can do. And it's not just that amazing catch he had against the Cowboys in that Sunday night game. I've seen him, you know, cut up defenses, run that slant route and take it to the house for 50 yards. But it's a combination of, I guess, just him not being what, you know, he should be at this point in his career and just the way that the Browns system is. I mean, he's coming off an ACL injury. He's, he gets hurt all the time, but now just adding a major knee injury to his already long list of, you know, injuries that he's had in, over his career. And I just, you know, he's not going to be an elite uh, level wide receiver like I think. I mean, last year he only played six games, but he was on pace for having a career lows in catch rate, catches per games, and yards per game. I mean, that just really sums up how, like, how he was digressing. It wasn't even like, you know, he was off to a great start last year when he was playing really well. He was playing horrible last year through six games. And the Browns, they're going to run the ball frequently. Baker Mayfield's a good enough quarterback to maybe get some wins, but he's not, you know, the dangerous guy that well, we remember from um, Oklahoma who's going to put up, you know, crazy statistics in an air raid offense. He's good for like 250 yards, three touchdowns and two interceptions. That's really like, you know, as good as Baker's going to get and maybe sprinkle in like a 300 plus yard game here and there. But I just think that it's not, it's never going to work out in the future for Odell. I mean, he's just a guy who's always there and he's always hovering around that like 20 to 25 range. And I'm just, I'm not doing it again this year. It's tough for me with Odell's season, just because of how late you can get him. Getting a guy like Odell Beckham right now, he's going 72nd overall. I always feel like that's going to be worth the risk. And yes, you're right. The past few seasons in Cleveland have not been great. You even have Baker in an interview once say that the offense makes more sense when Odell's not there because he doesn't feel like he has to feed Odell the ball. And I still feel like that's tough, though, because like Cleveland is a team that their front office really turned around. They actually have a good coaching staff in place. Their offense is really efficient. They know what they're doing. I have a hard time understanding why you can't get a talent like Odell work in this offense because he feels like he's a perfect complement for it. Like, the guy is super talented. You're getting him in the sixth round, seventh round. And you're right, the numbers just don't back it up. Like, last season, he had 2.2 points, 13.4, 5.9, 33.4 point outing against Dallas, which is buoyed by having 73 rushing... 73 yeah. rushing yards and a touchdown. So there's 13 points from rushing for him. He had a crazy end around, yeah. <laughs> uh, 6.4, 2.5, and then he finally got hurt week seven, put up a big zero that week, and then did not play the rest of the season. So he's a tough guy to understand. It doesn't make sense why he doesn't fit this offense. But, again, a guy that's going to go higher than he should because of name value, and you don't want to be the sucker that drafts him. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that hate is just my personal thing, having him for all those years. But just me, I'm I'm done. I'm not touching him. It's all right. I have the hottest take, I think, of all our podcasts that we've done. My last fool's gold guy, it's Stephon Diggs. And people are going to probably lose their mind. I'm saying Stephon Diggs is a fool's gold guy. He's currently going as a top five wide receiver, sometimes in the first round. Let me just lay out this case for you. Last season was a very weird season. We had no fans. We had no offseason. And Josh Allen threw for like over 60% completion percentage, which is insane. A big jump for him. 
I think there's a significant chance that Josh Allen regresses, not to the point where he was two seasons ago, but I don't think he's going to have the season he had last year. And as a result, I don't think Diggs has the season he has last year because, again, both those guys played absolutely out of their mind. There's no other threat on this team besides Stephon Diggs other than Josh Allen's running ability. There's only two games last season, two games, where Stephon Diggs had less than 10 points. That is insane from any perspective. You just don't see that happen. Every receiver eventually has a dud game. Stephon Diggs' dud game was 7.4 points in standard. That's nuts. And again, I just don't think he's a guy I'd want to take as my first round pick. So it's like, all right, who are you building your team around? I w- would you rather build your team around a guy like Austin Eckler? Or would you rather build your guy team around Stephon Diggs? For me, I'm taking Eckler because running backs matter more. And I feel like he's got a higher floor than Diggs does. It's just hard for me to understand why we're assuming Diggs is going to repeat the season he had last year when the circumstances are very different. And if you look at every metric last season, it seems so fluky that to just assume that Josh Allen is going to be that good again, that insane again, that's not a risk I want to take in the first round. Hmm. I, it's it's hard for me to completely agree just because he he showed you last year just how good he was. I thought last year I wasn't that high on drafting him because I was like, oh, you're going to the Bills, you got Josh Allen there. And look, Stephon Diggs was, you know, really like a nice story coming out of, uh, you know, uh, coming from the Vikings, you know, wasn't really a super high draft pick, you know, and uh, turned himself into really an elite receiver. But, you know, I always kind of felt like he was in Adam Thielen's shadow, and I didn't really think much of him. But, I mean, he, he proved me and every critic of him wrong last year. He had, you know, like that phenomenal year. Definitely he, he has to have some kind of drop-off because receivers just don't do what he did two years in a row. It's really hard, like, just to maintain that. Like, the only guy I can really think of that, like, did that consistently is, like, Antonio Brown. But no one's really, like, you know, when Antonio Brown was in his prime, you know, he was one of the most, you know, electric receivers I've ever seen. But AB also had those stats like having five catches for 40 yards in however many straight games. Like, yeah. that's insane production. Even if it's not like five catches, 40 yards, what's a big deal? That means he's just, like, again, when he's getting five catches a game, that's the real stat. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I think there's a little bit, Angela, a pinch of little jet bias coming in there a little bit because – I don't know any Jet fan that actually, like, they just think Josh Allen, what he did last year, like, was fake and that it's not going to happen again, which I don't think that it's going to be as efficient to the level it was last year. But it's it's almost like you got to, like, you got to prove me wrong. And you might get snake bitten if you do take uh, Stefan Diggs that high. But I would say, to kind of back you a little bit, I would say that he's not a guy who I'd be really, like you said, excited about, hey, my team's being built around Stephon Diggs. And, like, Josh Allen, again, I think Josh, I'm not saying Josh Allen's going to have a bad season. I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I think he's a live wire. He's going to make make risky decisions. He's great with his legs. He's got a lot of Cam Newton to him, and I think that was the right comp. But the guy's completion percentage the year before was 58.8%. And it was suddenly 69 last season. A 11% increase in completion percentage. That's just bonkers to me. And he only threw one more pick. It's just his yards per completion stayed the same. 
And he's compl- so that shows me like he's still throwing the similar passes as he was before, but now he's completing 11% more. I think that number comes down at least 5%, if not more. I don't think he's going to throw under 60%. I think he probably ends up around 63. But again, that's 6%. That's a significant amount. And Stephon Diggs, if you look at his career so far, so he's played 13 games every season, even as a rookie. Now, in his rookie season, he only uh, started nine times, but he still got 84 targets. This has been his targets by season. So he started at 84, then 112, down to 95, up to 149, down to 94, and last season he was up to 166. So there is an up and down with him. It's like in every other year. So there's that pattern stands out, which makes sense because, I mean, the quarterback situation constantly changed. But last season he had 127 catches, 127. He did not have more than 102, and that was the first season with Cousins in Minnesota. So that shows me, like, again, that's still 25 more catches than we thought. That's 25 points, and that's just counting the catches. It's I can't, in good conscience, assume that that's going to happen again. Catch percentage. Highest season was 2016. He yeah, was at 75%. Otherwise, he's been in the high 60s. Last season, 76.5%, career high. Everything about last season shows that that is a career year. And those seasons don't happen back-to-back. They're not going to happen every year. That's why they're career years. You're going to have down years. So even if he has a good season, a good season for him could be, okay, he's going to get 1,000 yards. He's going to get six touchdowns. He's going to catch 100 balls. Those are still much smaller than the numbers he got last year. And those aren't numbers of a guy you want to take in the first round. That's why I'm saying he's my fool's gold. I still think if he, if he falls to you in the second round, that's great. I would love to take Stephon Diggs in the second round. But I just see him going in the first round. I see him going early second. And for me, I feel like I'd much rather go with any of those running backs in that tier than go with a receiver who's going to regress from last season. Well, Angelo, it's definitely... Um, Can you I tell think passionate you, about it? I will, I will say I will definitely... I'd say that pick is the most is the definition of the podcast uh, of, uh, you know, the theme of this podcast and this segment is, you know, fool's gold. That is definitely could be fool's gold if he's that bad. I would have loved to see. I'm interested to see where he goes in your draft because our draft's a keeper league. And the guy in our league who actually won last year, most insane team I've ever seen in my life. He actually didn't win the championship, which we're not going to let him live down. And he stinks at fantasy. So he's probably never <laughs> going to get back there. Shout out to Dima. But, um, I think he could get Stefan Diggs in our draft this year in like the fifth round, which is actually criminal and insane. But I'm really interested to see where he goes um, in your draft. We shall see. And I can't promise that I won't take him because, again, while I do have these takes and while I do look at and have my thoughts, that's not to say I'm not going to draft these guys. It doesn't mean I'm not going to take Chase Claypool if I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the board. I'm thinking, okay, I think this is a better spot for Claypool than any of the other guys that are here. It's just – Setting your expectations and building your own board and having your own beliefs, that's kind of what makes fantasy because anybody can go off what the ESPN or Yahoo big boards are. And you could still put together a pretty good team without having to do the research. But doing the research does raise your ceiling a little bit. I also think it lowers your floor a little bit because you bring in your biases a little bit more. But anyway, yeah, Stefan Diggs, I'm not a guy that has a lot of takes, but that is a take I will defend all season and I'm sure I'm going to hear about it. But anyway, that's going to do it for the Flex of Gold podcast. That's going to do it for our preview series. We're not going to preview defenses and kickers because defenses and kickers are positions you should be taking in the last two rounds anyway. The guy that reaches this year for, let's say, the Baltimore defense in the ninth round, 
I just think is always a schmuck. Now, for the past few years in my league, it's been my brother. And my brother always drafts the number one defense regardless. And it ends up being a huge swing for him. But I just still think, like, no, you stream a defense because defense is a position that's notorious to predict from year to year. Like, remember Jacksonville? If I, if I give my two cents on defenses, I used to be a little boy, too, and I would take, like, the best defense. But um, I've learned that I, I hate stream, streaming defenses. I think it's a, it's a bad practice. I like to challenge myself and almost try to be, like, the defensive mastermind of the league and find the good defense and just keep it for the full year just by – like last year, I picked up the Colts like uh, a week before week one. They were an amazing defense to have. Just keep them in there the whole year. That's Just what be smart. Same, same thing. Like uh, two years ago, I had the Vikings defense, and I was able I to start them, them all season. Yeah. And there's some teams that just like the Vikings, like the Colts, the Jags. Like there's a couple teams every year that they're like, yeah, you know, their defense is always pretty good. You know, Miami's surprising now that they're actually like pretty good. Mm-hmm. Kickers too. Like kickers, there, there's no, like, unless you get in Justin Tucker. Guy. Justin Tucker is the only guy in the defense special teams kickers area that's worth a pick before round 10 because the guy is consistent. Oh, not, not before round 10. Let's not get nuts. I, I would take him round 10. I would take and, him round well, 10. That's a, that's a banana stick. That's, that's a, that's he, a take. He's never there, though. Like, he's always gone by round 8 in my league, sometimes round 7, because people get bored. The, I wish I was in those leagues. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. I, feel like, I was just going to say, I feel like kickers, you always have your guy. Like, Young Ho Koo, mm-hmm. my guy. I dropped him last year in anticipation. No one was going to pick it up. And this kid, Kevin, snake in our league, picks him up. And I'm like, oh, well, he stole my kicker. It's an easier position to stream, too, because it's like, okay, look at the matchups. Yeah. Uh, I just want to get a team that scores a bunch. Yeah, you can't put it in the end zone, so we'll take the kicker. Absolutely. But, yeah, so that's our preview episode. No episodes next week. I'm on vacation. When we come back, we are going to have some kind of mock draft content that we're going to go through. Still yet to be decided how we're going to completely work that out. But that is down the pipeline for Nick Perillo. I'm Angela and Lisa. And as always, we hope it pans out for you.